0: Badge Boy. Overlooking Phoenix. From high above in the Star Worldwide Network studios. Badge Boys. <laughs> Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys.
1: <laughs> Welcome back to the Badge Best of special edition of Badge Boys, a show where two cops talk to the community. I'm retired silent witness, Sergeant Darren Birch. I am retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterley. And this special edition, this best of, is going to have our interview with Mary Joe West talking about the night uh, gunmen came into the newsroom and took everyone hostage. Then we're going to go into a absolutely best cop talk segment where I interviewed Jason and that's going to be touching and inspirational. Then we go into the last segment where I get to do my horrific, stupid, suspect stories. And this best of, well, just hold on to your, uh, well, I'm not going to get the cat out of the bag. And then we're,
0: we're never going to recover. Yeah, we're ne- we're never going to recover. That- <laughs> we're going to end
1: with Jason with his special inspirational moment. So stay tuned, stay informed, and you'll be entertained. Be right back, everybody.
0: More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live.
1: Several of us were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them.
2: We had to use humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris.
0: We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference.
2: Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard.
0: Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com.
2: Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station.
3: Move over, AZ. Arizona's Move Over Law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time, move over, AZ.
2: Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station.
0: You're listening to Badge Boys with retired Police Sergeant Darren Birch and retired Police Officer Jason Schechterly. Now back to the Badge Boys.
1: Well, we are back. Now, this show, being our inaugural show, we got the best guest possible. Both Jason and I, not knowing, we both love this woman. I'm so excited. Uh, We both grew up in the 70s. Uh, I remember cool Channel 10 TV watching. This was the very first primetime news anchor in the Valley. And she was... She was like the girl next door, but she was this incredible presence. I'm talking about, of course, the legendary Hall of Fame, Mary Jo West. Mary, welcome to our show.
2: I am so excited to be here on this inaugural show. Jason and Darren, what an honor. Ladies, I wish you could be here with me. These guys are so cute, and I just want to <laughs> spend the day with them, but I better not. It is an honor, seriously, to be here, the, to be in both of your presence. You know, broadcasting was a, an amazing, amazing career. But I didn't lay my life on the line every day like you two did. And I'm just so honored and humbled to be here with you.
1: Well, that's funny because when I grew up, I wanted to be a journalist. And I couldn't read or write, so I had to be a cop. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, what I want to do is kind of talk to those who may be new in the Valley that don't know you like we do. You are just, uh, you're truly legendary. You really are. And a trailblazer, (laughs) not just a legend because you're just amazing, but you led the way for female journalism uh, in the state.
2: Well, thank you. You know, before the show started to our audience, I was telling Jason and Darren what great voices they have. Well, when I started uh, in the mid-70s as our city's first primetime woman, I uh, got lots of hate mail. And one of the reasons is because they weren't used to hearing a woman's voice on the air. So I consciously, through the years, lowered my voice. I came from the South where I had a real high voice, hi, y'all. <laughs> and uh, you wouldn't believe the hate mail that came in. but. Fortunately, fortunately, it stopped Uh, about, I don't know, about a year into my job. I was there in that seat for six years, and um, men at that time uh, did not know really what to say and do with a professional broadcaster, a female, so it was hard. My co-anchor... Uh, I learned to finally love Bill, and I think he loved me, but we did not get along, and he did not want me to be there. (laughs) But God bless him. He died three years ago, and I was asked to both sing and um, speak at his funeral.
1: Oh, And for those who don't know who he was at the time, tell me if you think this is accurate. It was kind of like Walter Cronkite. He was kind of like a no-nonsense kind (laughs) of...
2: Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. Bill was very crusty. He was a curmudgeon. (laughs) But let me tell you: if you ever have a boss that you might not necessarily get along with, what you can do is learn from him. Because Bill was one of the, one of the, best political reporters ever in our state, and I learned so much from him. And I also learned to have hobbies. I never had hobbies, but he had hobbies, and that kept him sane. I didn't, and I, it, I was not that sane.
3: <laughs> Mary Jo, tell us. Part of what I want to do with the show is about changing the dialogue and shining a positive light back onto law enforcement, which it richly deserves. If you want negative stories, you can turn on some of the national, you can turn on evening news here, and it's going to be a lot of negative things. Back when you were really doing your thing in prime time, how did you view covering stories, whether it be with victims, law enforcement, with the kindness and the objectivity that you did it?
2: That's a very good question. I didn't have children at the time, so that that helped me uh, not totally fall apart at the scene. How you police officers handled so much stress and so much hurt, I I don't know. I learned so much from from you guys. I guess I'll never forget uh, the night, and we can talk about it now or later. But the night a gunman came into our studio, uh,
1: perfect segue. Thank you. Yes.
2: And helped, uh, held. Bill Close and the people in the studio captive with a gun, at the 5 o'clock news, not the 6 o'clock, but at the 5 o'clock news, I was across the alley in the newsroom co-anchoring, and all I heard in my earpiece was, Mary Jo, you're going to be on your own tonight. Bill can't do it. So I just assumed he died of a heart attack because Bill never missed a newscast. To cut right to the chase, to watch the police officers in action Help bill negotiate with this crazy gentleman uh, i don't want to say crazy um, I, let, I let will. me be proper well no, I, let I will. me be proper <laughs> he
3: I'm, came into the newsroom with a gun it, he, that's crazy
2: well, he was extremely mentally ill extremely wow. mentally ill, okay. and for about four hours uh, he held uh, those precious people hostage and to Watch and hear the police officers help Bill negotiate with this mentally ill person uh, was was such an education and the bravery that went on that night. And to make a long story short, Homer Lane, the head of Channel 10 at the time, made a decision to cut into the primetime show. I'll never forget Falcon Crest. So that Bill, while with a gun in his side could read this rambling manifesto that this mentally ill person asked him to read. It made no sense. And as soon as Bill read it, we all held our breath. Was Joe Billy Gwen going to kill Bill? Was he gonna kill the himself? We didn't know, but he, he kept his promise. He turned the gun over to Bill, and the rest is history. But um, another story, very quickly, I was involved in a carjacking and to watch Silent Witness go into <laughs> effect. And you know both of you uh, were involved with Silent Witness. Jason, you were, and of course, um, they caught the criminal, and the rest is history.
1: You know, talking about that carjacking, uh, you shared that story one time with another radio show I was doing at the time, and could you kind of go into a little bit about that? Because there's a lot to that story, because you had a— it wasn't just you that was going to be victimized by this carjacking— You had some very important person with you at the time, did you not?
2: Yes and no. Uh, Let me ask. Jason, you have how many children? Three. Three. And how many children do you have? Two. Two. Okay. Well, you know, once you have children, everything changes in in your heart. Everything changes. Yes. Well, I was at a local hospital uh, on the west side attending a class. I had just gone to my car, and I was coming uh, back out of my car and all of a sudden I see four well-dressed teenagers walking up to me and I gave them a big small hi and then the next thing I know one of the there were two boys two girls the one of the boys stuck a gun in my gut backed me up to the car and said don't say a word lady get in the car. Wow. Well I it was surreal and I said what's going on guys is this some kind of you know play what's going on and then he did it two more times and finally uh the third time I looked into his eyes and I saw that he was on drugs. Well, he forced me into the back of the car, but the other three teenagers lagged behind. They didn't want to get in the car. And so, uh they didn't know who I was. It was totally random. I don't mean who I was, but I that I was on TV at the time. But anyway, uh they forced me in the back of the car. So I made a split-second decision. When I had the keys still in my hands, so when the driver of the car, one of the other teenagers, decided to open up the passenger front, excuse me, the driver's front door. I made a decision to jump out simultaneously. So that's what I did. I jumped out with my keys, and I'm a former opera singer, so I screamed as loudly as I could. And I, I caught him off guard, and I just started running back to the hospital and screamed. And the Glendale police, um, I think you'll see, you don't mind me saying Glendale. We love all cops, we love them all. <laughs> the Glendale police were there in a matter of minutes and did a thorough investigation. These same four kids had just done the same kind of thing in Flagstaff and had come down from Flag to do this again. And uh, silent silent witness, witness kicked in. The girls were 14 years old and the next day at school, they were bragging about the incident. So that's how Silent Witness kicked in.
3: Criminals love to talk. Yes, they do. They make see, our, you know that. I can they, see that. They make our jobs a lot easier. They do. Yeah, the, the beauty of the story that you just told, I mean, it's, I think it's important for other people. There's a lot of people who, at a moment's notice, can become victims. And like you said, it's surreal. And something that I, I teach down at the academy with the recruits or something that I'm trying to explain to people who aren't in law enforcement, fight or flight syndrome is very real within all of us, and you displayed the rare ability to have both. You. you you fought and you fled at the exact right moment, and that is, you don't know that you're capable of doing it until you're in the moment, and I'm sure long after the fact, you had the butterflies, you got sick to your stomach. When, right. the, when the adrenaline dumps, there's, there's really nothing like it, but that's an amazing example of what we are capable of, because here you were thinking it was a joke, you're you're just minding your own business. These are teenagers, and in that moment, that your life is threatened and can be changed forever, you you displayed both. That's that's remarkable. Thank you so much for sharing that.
2: Oh, Jason, thanks for backing me up. And of course, I could have been shot in the back, but at that point, I, it was I just decided to take that risk. Right. And I wanted to allude to what Darren was talking about. What made me do that fight and flight was that. The only thing I could think about was when I was sitting in the back of that car was my two-year-old daughter at the time. She's now 30, but Molly is her name. And all I could think about was Molly and how much she needed her mommy. So, by golly, these kids were not going to get the best of me.
3: Is there anything stronger than that emotion right there? Nothing. My kid, especially, especially from a mother. But your kids, nothing that happens to you is their fault. Nothing is... They don't need to suffer because of that. So I can understand why you had that fight or flight. It, when yes. You have so something so much bigger than yourself to live for and to fight for. Kids are uh, just amazing. That's well, why I'm, I'm, pre-
2: yeah, I'm preaching the choir. That's I'm going to say this is who, why you're here.
3: I, people, I know they look at me and they see my appearance and might think, how in the world are you so happy? I, it's a very simple answer. I have three kids. and and I, And they're... They're phenomenal. They keep me going and and similar to your situation. And I hope that everybody out there who has been through a situation like Mary Jo just described or it's coming. I mean, we're all going to face certain situations and to know that you have the ability to overcome. That's remarkable. I I just thank thank you you so much for sharing that. Jason mentioned something bigger than
1: ourselves. When you were this brand new female, first primetime female anchor, do you realize how big that was how it's even bigger than you in terms of a trailblazer did you um embrace that was it overpowering talk a little bit about that
2: well i tried to keep the demons at bay because if you let yourself think about all of that how
1: big it is yes. how big it is yes.
2: and how many people you're reaching now remember at that time 1976 we had, we being viewers, had only a few choices to watch that night. So the number of people that were watching Channel 10, where I was, or 12 or 5, I think the numbers were a lot bigger then because oh, you didn't clearly. have any choices. Clearly. And yeah. I tried not to think about that. Um, what I did think about was every night when I would look into the camera, and this is so done so beautifully you two are doing right now on, on radio, you were talking one-on-one to a person, And that's, I made that camera. One night it would be my grandmother. The next night it would be Joe down the street. So I was just telling the news to Joe. And uh, I hope that that made a connection. But the first thing that uh, Bill Close said to me when I was hired, um, he talked about this being Heady Wine, Heady Wine, this being famous. He said, Do not let this go to your head. Well, I couldn't because I was so scared most of the time. And I think a lot of us go through life being scared because at that time, the newspaper people, they hated the TV people. That I'm sure there's some kind of rivalry going on between police and fire. I didn't, you didn't a hear that me. A, a fun one, a fun one. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't that much fun.
1: <laughs> we always win though.
2: <laughs> but there was also that horrible, horrible cosmetic burden. See, I tried to do everything. I wanted to first be known as a reporter a journalist, mm-hmm. anchor second, and through the years when, I would, uh, when people want to interview me who wanted to get mm-hmm. my job, they wanted to be anchors first, and I said, you want to be a journalist. I made the shoe too big, because I was the first woman, I felt everything was being examined more closely. So it was I was all the on your shoulders. I would start my day at 6 a.m. at a breakfast, speaking in Sun City, which you guys have probably done many times, but at 6 a.m., and then at 9, I'd go speak at a school. At noon, I'd speak at a lunch. Then I'd start, then I'd start my reporting, do stories in the afternoon, anchor the 5, co-anchor the 6, do another story, co-anchor the 10, during series, I'd spend the night there, and on and on and on, and so I, I made this shoe too big, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I felt that's what I had to do, and uh, uh, it paid off
1: <laughs> in the in your vast career you've had to interview so many important people was there one interview that stands out among all those interviews and because you presidents mother Teresa. i mean <laughs> <laughs> wow well one uh, there
2: there are two extremes one was um Gloria Steinem was a famous feminist and still alive, and she was always kind of, I looked up to her, and I know some people are turned off by feminists, but without Gloria Steinem, I probably wouldn't have had my job, because, you know, Phoenix was one of the last conservative bastions to hold out and not allow women to anchor the news. Wow. (laughs) But because of those early leaders in the women's movement, like Gloria Steinem, so when I was at Network News uh, anchoring a show called Nightwatch, I had the chance to, to have a very, very long interview with her, and and she wanted to bring me coffee. I saw her graciousness, and I saw that she, you know, all the, the bad stuff that had been written about her was untrue, so I loved that interview. But on the other hand, I got to interview a woman who was the biggest villain in my life in the seventh grade, when I was in the seventh grade, and her name was Madeline Murray O'Hare. Wow. Madeline Murray O'Hare, when I was in Georgia growing up in a very Christian environment, you know, she's the woman that, filed the lawsuit to not allow prayer in public school. Well, she came to Phoenix in 76, and I was to interview her, and I treated Madeline Murray O'Hare, who I was afraid of, just like I treated everyone else I interviewed. And at the end of the interview, she grabbed my hand, and she said, I just want to thank you, Mary Jo, for for treating me with respect and kindness. She said, you have no idea the hate that comes my way on a wow. daily basis. Well, and she
3: went on to feel that hate, and she met a grizzly. Murdered. A grizzly in her story, yes, the documentary about her murder and story. That's fascinating that you spoke to her, but that she showed you that respect and appreciation.
1: And that you showed her that respect yeah. based on your own different values. Yes.
2: Oh, absolutely. And And then when I see the... I, I can't even find the right word. The contentious interviews that take place on the air today across the wide spectrum of things we're watching, I see the hate and I see the lack of respect. It, it breaks my heart.
1: It is. Uh, in, the, in probably two minutes that we have left, um, you shared with me a story. I hope you don't mind me putting on a spot about Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. Can you share that with us?
2: I had been let go of my job at Channel 3. You know, I was a workaholic. Uh, I was hopefully at the sort of the top of what I was doing, and new owners came in, and new managers came in, and they said they made a business decision and needed to replace me and not renew my contract, and I thought my life was over. I really, Aww. really did, because I had become a workaholic, and that's, that's unhealthy. They ended up doing me the biggest favor of my life. Aww. I went home and had a pity party for three months, and then I decided to go volunteer at St. Vincent de Paul, And then two priest friends of mine said Mother Teresa is coming to Gallup, New Mexico. We have an exclusive, exclusive interview with her, but we want you to go with us. And on the plane with Mother Teresa, a private plane, I found out uh, minutes before I got on that plane I could never have children. So I asked Mother Teresa, did not know I was going to say this. I said, Mother, do you ever allow Americans to adopt children from your orphanages in India? And she looked at me. And she said, Oh no, you Americans, you kill your babies. Um, but then she turned back around and she took my hand and she said, Because you love the poor and the Virgin Mary so much, I'm going to give you a baby. And she did. And that baby wow. came from Central America, from the most. Mur- chills. Oh, darling, That's Thank you. Incredible. <laughs> the most, from the most murderous capital in the world in Honduras. And I. Was able to adopt her with her precious husband, my, my precious husband at the time, and now Molly's 30 years old and I have two and a half grandkids. The greatest gift of my life was getting fired.
3: That
1: is, a that is wonderful. Story. Beautiful.
3: I want to uh, ask one quick question uh, and close with something with you. Where were you working in August of 1977?
2: I was working at Channel 10. Okay.
3: And the reason I ask that is. You, you mentioned earlier that you tried to keep it like it was one person, and uh, I don't want to date you, but I was six years old.
2: That's all right.
3: And you were the welcoming presence into my home every night. That's what I would watch on the news even at that young age. And my earliest memory of falling in love with the news, falling in love with kindness and compassion and appreciation that I heard stuff, is to this day my favorite singer somebody I listen to all the time and talk to my kids about is Elvis Presley. And you are the one who told me at six years old that he had passed away. Oh and wow. I still remember that moment. Oh,
2: wow. The power of the media. It, it truly
3: yes. is. And, and, and I thank you for that because it, it, it taught me a lot at a young age. And I really, at, at 47 years old now, I think about when I talk about Elvis or I hear a song, I'm like, I remember exactly where I was when I heard that he passed away, and who told me?
2: And I hope we did it gently. <laughs> well,
3: did. that was a wonderful interview, hearing
1: about the, oh, my gosh, the hostage situation in the newsroom, hearing about your carjacking, and hearing about the connection with Elvis Presley and Jason, <laughs> and the story of the Mother world. Teresa. I cannot thank you enough on behalf of Badge Boys. That was Mary yes. Joe. We passed. love you, Mary Joe. Thank you so much.
2: I love you back.
1: And we'll be right back with another segment of badge boys
0: more stories inside guests and true blue humor coming up on badge boys
3: we'll be back right after this move over az arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights remember every vehicle every time move over az
2: sponsored by ada in partnership with the arizona broadcasters association and this station I'll never forget that that moment as
0: long as I live. live.
2: My first call-up ever as a member of the National Guard.
0: When we got to the armory, they briefed us on the wildfires. They were getting dangerously close to homes.
2: Helicopters were going out to drop water on the fires. Guys in the unit were preparing for firefighting with local fire crews. At that moment, I got my first taste of just how important the Guard is to my community.
0: See how the Guard can be an important part of your life at NationalGuard.com.
2: Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard. Aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station.
0: You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge
1: Boys. Now, in this segment, which we like to call Cop Talk, is going to be where me and Jason are just going to kind of banter a little bit about different headlines, different things in the news, things that maybe we have concerns about. But because this is our inaugural show, we are going to in fact, I should say, I'm going to interview Jason. Uh-oh. And then on the second show, Jason is going to interview me. So I get the pleasure of, um, and again, I've known Jason. We've gone to, oh my gosh, so many events at, you know, at the same time, same place, that sort of thing. But I've never got to know you as a person. In, in this exciting time of Badge Boys, I've got to know you. And you are absolutely an inspiration to be. You, you are the embodiment of what it means to be a police officer, my friend. And I want it, if you would, share with the listening audience why you even wanted to be a police officer. That's an in and of itself is an amazing
3: story. Thank you very much, Darren. I am so excited to be a part of this show. I have so many people to thank. And the fact that you and I are co-hosting together is just, uh, I'm just full of a feeling I really have never experienced before. Law enforcement, police work is, it's hard to describe what it means to me and how much it means to me, but basically the back story is I uh, learned about it uh, at a pretty young age in high school. Uh, My older brother became a Phoenix police officer, and uh, I was only 16, and at the time I was like, well, it seems like a pretty good job, but uh, I don't know what I'm going to do, and uh, I was called towards service early i followed in the footsteps of the rest of the men in my family i wanted to serve in the military so i joined the air force and uh you know the air force it, it, it did what i needed to do i needed some structure and discipline and it'll do that i needed to see some places and the first place they sent me was north dakota and after one winter there i'm like yeah i'm going back to phoenix for the rest <laughs> of my life that, that, that wasn't very difficult so i came home and life has uh, a way of changing on us i mean we you make your plans in the distant future, and you might as well just sit back and, and laugh because that's not how things go. But I came home after four years, and I ended up getting married. I had a couple of kids, and I got a really wonderful job with Arizona Public Service. Started out at the Birdie Nuclear Plant, and then I had gotten an apprenticeship to be a lineman, and uh, the people who do that job are just incredible. It's a great job outside every day, different locations make a good salary, I mean, I was set. So I'm 26 years old and I'm not thinking about too much, life's, life's just cruising along. And I came home one day, I turned on the five o'clock news and then the lead story was Phoenix Police Officer Mark Atkinson had just been shot and killed in the line of duty. And I wish after all these years I could find the right words to say, but it was just truly a moment of clarity for me. And you were right then, standing there in my my jeans and work boots that i needed to be doing that job and i went and applied with the Phoenix police department uh you know it's a grueling hiring process but i got through it i started the academy in september of 1999 and proudly was the first graduating class of 2000 january 7th of 2000 and uh, hit the streets and again this job when you do this job for the right reasons when you have the honor and the humility behind the badge it is the most rewarding career possible all the things that i had dreamed about all the things i had fantasized all the fun romantic things i had seen on tv yes they are true and they're great and wonderful but i knew why i put my name on the application i knew exactly why and that feeling to this day has never gone away and it has carried me through a lot of very dark times
1: You know, when I hear that story, it kind of makes me think of uh, when 9-11 happened and we had so many young men and women want to join the military. It was something bigger than yourself that you cared about. And when you heard about this police officer who um, died giving the ultimate sacrifice, something in you, like, I want to do that because I want to give as well. And now I'd like to segue into life
3: as a police officer. What was it like day to day? Day to day, it was... I was one of those guys, that could not wait to go to work every day. When I was new, I mean, trying to get the lingo right on the the radio, the, I'll admit, the little bit of anxiety and fear I had coming out of the academy, all of a sudden, there's no more scenarios with a whistle blowing at the there's end. There's no safety net. It, it's, it's like, hey, this is real. And you are bestowed an a tremendous amount of power you could take people's freedoms away you could take children that responsibility out of their homes that is a profound responsibility again not to take for granted it's something that should humble you it should it should, it should come natural and and it really did for me and hitting the streets i was just anxious to learn i appreciated my field training officers and them teaching me the things the guidance from my sergeant the the people that i had gone to the academy with that were in the same boat that i was we were like uh, what are we supposed to do here i mean <laughs> i remember my first day off so field training in phoenix is is three months you ride with somebody and then my first day where i'm in a car alone i filled it up with gas and i'm pulling out of the gate and on the radio there was a call of a minor minor car accident at 16th street and van buren and i darn You swallowed the mic i couldn't answer i'm like I want, i'll take it i'll take it because i wanted something easy and safe you know what i mean because sure, I, I was sure, so nervous about sure, being sure on my own and then you you dipped your toe in the water e- exactly <laughs> and then once you get in the groove of things once you get in the flow and you know you're answering your radio calls you're you're backing up other people on your squad and then you you find your own little niche on on the quiet times when the radio is not real busy you find what you want to get into, what you want to look for, what we call on-view work. You go out. I mean, that's your job. Go out, yeah. out and find something. And, uh, you know, I was here in Phoenix. Stolen vehicles is a... Um, so close to the border. Uh, a, very it, 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 stolen vehicles happens a lot here in the Valley. And what I loved about if you were lucky enough to run a license plate and get a hit on a stolen, it's the felony stop that I loved. Those are the coolest things because then you got cars coming at Back up and you got a special way of getting people out of the car. You got the helicopter maybe if they're not busy coming overhead. It's and exciting. It's, just, it's a cool it's feeling exciting. you're you're doing your job and also at the end of the call you're you're helping so you you're you're taking a piece of property back to somebody who is probably going through a lot right now. You it, it feels good to do these things for other people. And that's girls, ultimate
1: so. why we do what we do is to help people. Yeah. And you're helping people and you're having fun. Yes. Segway horribly from having fun to uh, I'm assuming without even uh, hesitation (laughs) the darkest time
3: of your life can you do you mind sharing that with us no not at all I so I did my year on probation I wanted to work with my best friend from the Academy an officer named Brian Chapman and we wanted to be partners we were the transfer squads got on better days off better hours and life was pretty amazing at the time Uh, 28 years old So March 26th of 2001, and if you're paying attention to what I've been saying, March 26th of 99 was the day Mark Akson died on his second anniversary. Went to work that day, and I'll never forget it. We were short-staffed, and so my partner, Brian, and I, we weren't able to ride together. We had to be separated and uh, hit the streets. It was very quiet. Uh, I hate the word routine patrol because there's no such thing but it was it was a quiet routine day I still remember everything I, I did went on a couple of minor car accident calls took a couple of paper report calls just wasn't a whole, whole lot going on and about 11 30 that night an emergency call of an unknown trouble came out and it wasn't in my area of responsibility. It was in another area so I didn't really pay attention to the call but the officers in that area were busy at the time so the dispatcher came back on she uh, gave a little more description to the call and it was a serious emergency it sounded like a violent crime and I wasn't doing anything so I grabbed the radio and I'll never forget my last words were 913 I'm sorry 513 Henry I'll start up and you say that just nice and quiet into the dispatcher's ear and off I went and running code three lights and siren I got to the intersection of 20th Street and Thomas where Phoenix Children's Hospital Arizona Heart Institute and I had a red light at the 51 freeway, so you still have a responsibility to come to a stop. And it, what does it take, a second and a half to clear an intersection? Not much. And just as I was going to proceed, my patrol car was struck from behind by a taxi cab. The driver was suffering an epileptic seizure at the time, and according to the investigation, he was doing 115 miles an hour when it ran into me, which is it's a 40-mile-an-hour downtown city street. I can't even fathom what that looked like. So my car... Burst into flames, traveled through the other side of the intersection, and miracle upon miracle, blessing upon blessing, and luck, right there sat Phoenix Fire Engine Number 5. Wow. Sitting in the intersection. And can you imagine what they saw, Uh, what what they must have felt? And they were on their way to the same call that I was going to. They were coming up northbound Access Road on the 51, and as they get up there, boom, here comes this police car that's on fire and I just I, I think about them all the time and what they what they must have seen felt and then they went to work for me two famous police officers two good friends of mine got there in about 30 seconds having no idea what they were about to roll up on and then can you imagine who's in there that's one of my friends who's dying right now and I mean people it, it, being a police officer or a firefighter does not mean you're not human it does not mean you don't have feelings and emotion and it doesn't mean you don't have fight or flight central. It it's, happens with everybody. And the job that these six people did that night is, it, it's just unbelievable. It, it, you can't even make it up. It, a movie couldn't even do this justice. And they got me out of that car in about 90 seconds. Wow. Uh, and my body never even hit the ground. I am, uh, you know, picture, you know, the people who surf at concerts, body surf. Right, right. That's, that's what they did. Wow. They, the captain, I'm sorry the engineer on the fire truck rebecca joy she's since retired i uh, just love her to pieces but she had uh, the phoenix rescue pull up right next to my car and there's no time for a stretcher there's no time for anything they body surfed me across a few people straight into the back of the ambulance on two and a half miles away from what i'm going to promise you is the best burn center in the united states bar uh, none Bar none. it is the best and After all that chaos, all that craziness, I'm on their trauma table in less than eight minutes. Wow! And uh, that's that started the um, journey of of the life saving, the true life saving measures of what the doctors had to do. Becoming a tissue recipient, you know, a family going through its toughest time, its toughest transition in life, chose to be an organ and tissue donor, and I could not have survived had I not had that gift of life, and then countless surgeries, a long period of time in a coma, and, and I, oh, we could talk for hours about everything, but that was the accident in itself, and I spent uh, two and a half months in a coma, I spent five months in the burn center, several weeks in a rehab center, a very long time in rehab, having surgeries, readjusting to life, and then, uh, you know, a lot of people here in the Valley know the 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 positive sides of it and the beautiful momentum that started taking place, uh, I mean, I've had an absolutely incredible life that I would trade for anything.
1: You know, I think about all the things you said that had to be in the right place at the right time and granted this horrific, horrible, and I truly can't even imagine, obviously, you can't, you can't imagine, um, but for the the fire department be there, for these officers to be that fast, for us to have the best burn center in the nation, bar none, and that's, that was a fact that was already given, yes. and having all those things in place uh, that saved your life, and now I want to kind of transition to, you are a gift, you are literally a gift to us, uh, Jason, Thank to you. me, quite Thank frankly, you. Thank you. and um I would love, I'm trying to say, say composed here. Um, tell me about your journey now, the inspiration that you provide, the motivation that you provide, the, 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 that you travel the nation with this beautiful message of, of survival,
3: hope, and passion. Tell me about that, please. You know, that all started for me. I've always had a sense, a profound sense of thankfulness that I was alive. The work that these people did the firefighters, and doctors. But then a lot of people might not remember, I was driving a Ford Crown Victoria, very susceptible to rear and fuel-fed fires, and we were ground zero for that. In In the span of four years, we lost two DPS officers, then had my accident, and then a year later, we lost a Chandler police officer. And then you had a lot of officers scattered across the country, and countless civilians that you don't hear about on the news. So to be the one who got a fire truck in the intersection, who am I to not... Fight and not appreciate that gift. So, I, I, you know, I had a lot of missions, like to get those cars to be made a lot safer. And to the credit of the valley, all the law enforcement agencies here took it upon themselves to spend yes, their own did. money, and they fix those cars. The bladder, and, and then the car is no longer made. So the accidents began to decrease. You save lives over the years. And then, you know, I had another baby after the accident. I already had two kids. I had a daughter and son who were in no way responsible for what happened to me and did not deserve this. And I needed to be there for them. And plus they they had done so much for me, you know, and then the beautiful things I got to do, you know, carrying the Olympic torch, I returned to work. I got to do my dream job of being a homicide detective. Then I finally decided to retire due to some of my limitations, my injuries. And over the years, I've, uh, you know, just found uh, the the fun, the inspiration, the beauty and sharing my story. Getting to talk about my family, getting to tell the story of those firefighters and my doctor—I mean, my doctor. Uh, there was t- two that really saved my life, but one of them, Dr. Dan Crusoe, uh, a year and a half ago, he died of cancer at Aww. the young age of 53. One of the greatest Aww. healers and lifesavers this world ever, has ever known, and we lose him at the age of 53. Things like that—I mean, they get me pretty fired up. But it also reminds me, life is a gift. It, life is a gift, and I want to tell his story still. And all the, I know a lot of cops. We called him the cop doc because you can't believe how many officers, not that were burned, that were shot in the line of duty, that he that should not be here today, and they could be here telling the same story. This is an incredible story that needs to be a book. Oh, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> wait a second.
1: Hold on. <laughs> you wrote a book. It is a, well,
3: I wish I could say I wrote it. I'm the subject of a book called Burning Shield. It is available on Amazon, and the author, Landon Napoleon, is just phenomenal i think my book was his 14th he had one turned into a movie he's a very talented gifted writer he wrote another book called angels three that was about the story of the woman who uh, on thanksgiving i think 2011 the plane that hit the superstition mountains and three children died at the same time her wow. three kids wow i know i uh, remember that karen perry it's an he wrote wow, that book, wow. so all the credit to Landon. Just uh, it's a story I'm very proud of, and it, yeah, it's I'm self published. It's available on Amazon. And
1: um, one more time for people grabbing their pens: what's the name of that book? And it's available at Amazon.com.
3: Burning Shield by Landon J. Napoleon, and it is available on Amazon.com. Uh, I, I think you'll get uh, a lot of joy out of reading. Again, it's something I'm very proud of, and it leaves a legacy for generations to come in my family that they'll know uh, like my youngest son who would not be here they talk about the gift of life right and if mason grows up and has three or four children of his own if they grow up and have three or four children it has no, no logical end yeah. everything that was done for me it, it it wasn't just a car accident live forever and we're talking about this can go on forever Absolutely. and perspective it's everything every it, day i look for it and there it is right there Jason, I can't thank
1: you enough for sharing your story with us. So inspirational and sorry I kind of lost it for a second there. Uh, I love Love my brother and thank you to the fire department. Thank you to the police officers. Thank you, Brian Chapman, who I know. They are awesome. Well, that wraps up this segment of cop talk. Uh, So stay tuned because we'll be right back with some stupid suspects, some heroic headlines and all sorts of good stuff.
0: More stories, inside guests and true blue humor coming up on batch boys. We'll be back right after this. I remember the moment. moment. I'll never forget that moment. As long as I live. As long as I live. Several of us
1: were working to rescue a family. The house collapsed on top of the cellar door and trapped them.
2: We had to use Humvees and heavy machinery to move massive trees and debris.
0: We got them out. We helped a lot of people out. It felt good to know I could really make a difference.
2: Because I'm a citizen soldier in the National Guard.
0: Be there the moment your community needs you. Learn more at NationalGuard.com.
2: Sponsored by the Arizona National Guard, aired by the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station.
3: Move over AZ. Arizona's move over law requires you to move over or slow down when you drive past any vehicle pulled over with flashing lights. Remember, every vehicle, every time. Move over AZ.
2: Sponsored by ADOT in partnership with the Arizona Broadcasters Association and this station.
0: You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys.
3: Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody, for our third and final segment, and we are going to start this segment with a little bit of humor and a little bit of head shaking with Darren's Stupid Suspect Stories. What do you got for us this week? Uh,
1: this one, not only are you going to shake your head, you're going to groan and maybe even lose your meal. I don't know. <laughs> We're going to go with the headline first that's going to really you know, get, the, get this segment going. Mesa Transient, charged with bestiality for trying to have sex with a cat. That is, yep, I'm led with that. I did. Wow. Um, Yeah, horrible. And, <laughs> I'm leaving. Uh, a transient in Mesa has been arrested. Have you noticed that when, some, when the homeless does something horrible, they're transient, but otherwise they're homeless? So we're going to call well, this course. guy. Yeah, this guy's a transient in Mesa, has been arrested in a horrifying case of mistreating an animal. Police say that 40-year-old Michael Navage, uh, kind of rhymes with savage, I guess. Savage Michael, beast. Thank you. Well, was taken into custody after he apparently tried to have sex with his cat. On Wednesday, March 20th, a caller reported to police that Navage had taken his cat into the bathroom and, quote, it sounded like the cat was hurting and screaming. And, quote, according to a police report, the caller also told the police, quote, called out for help, saying the cat was stuck on his penis. That's right. You heard it here first. Uh, According to police report, he cried out that the cat was stuck on his penis. The police report states that when the officer arrived and went to the bathroom, he saw Navage naked standing in the middle of the bathroom with a cat partially wrapped in a towel placed by his genitals. I think the towel was so the cat wouldn't scratch him. Um, Police say Navage first said he was, quote, was only drying his cat off because that's what we do. Cats love the water. We all know that. And we dry them off because we're good cat people. Uh, one of the witnesses at the scene told police he heard Navage quote, yelling at the cat and calling the cat. And this is the part that gets me. He was calling the cat a whore. And I'm <laughs> sorry.
0: Okay. I think
1: all cats are. But that's, that's, that's no excuse for what you did, buddy. Sorry. Um, the report goes on to say that and other things. However, during the later exam of the cat, the vet noticed this is sad. This gets back to the, the reality of what we're talking about, which is bestiality, a, a horrible crime. Uh, quote, tearing around the surface of the anus of the cat, as well as superficial wounds, small wounds around the anus area. X-rays showed that the cat had suffered previous rib and pelvic injuries. And I say it that because that's him holding the cat down against his will. Uh, police also found, this is a shocker, they found methamphetamines and drug paraphernalia uh, in Navage's possession. And Navage admitted to the officer that, quote, he had used the methamphetamines uh, the report also says that he gave the officer permission to search his belongings and found other false items like credit cards and other stuff that belong to other people. So you got to be careful about these people. If you hear a transient uh, talking ill to his cat or his dog, you may want to look the other way and, and call the police because uh, there's, there are some really sick puppies and now kittens out there by name you of Navage. You know
2: what's sad? I was friends with that guy on Facebook. <coughs> oh,
1: my God. And
2: it's funny because right after his were name- Were in a cat and, club together? Oh, God,
1: no. It okay. was just
2: we knew mutual people, and he was part of the musician clique, I guess. Gotcha. And, he, and in the parentheses after his name, it says beast.
0: Oh,
1: because he's a savage.
0: Yeah, he's a little weird. Yeah,
1: he is. We're going to stick with a animal theme here and go to our next <laughs> stupid suspect, because that's
3: what we do here. We stick with <laughs> themes. Well, if we were in a court- of law right now, I would ask for that first one to be stricken for the record because that was
1: horrible. <laughs> it really was. <laughs> it's stupid and insidious and just wrong. Okay, speaking of wrong, this photo has uh, made it all across the, the world, Roy. A photo of a horse being transported in the bed of a pickup truck has been circling, uh, circulating Excuse me, across social media. And now the police report said the driver could face charges. Um, The photographer who took this picture that has absolutely gone everywhere uh, said uh, said that he saw them traveling at approximately 70 miles per hour in Corrigan, Texas. Uh, The Corrigan police uh, said that driver was on his way to work at at the stockyards. He was then pulled over and cited for a defective tail lamp and... A report was going to um, regarding the uh, cruelty animals and uh, and then they released them and rest them, but they released them once livestock came and was able to safely transport the horse. But I'm going to pass this around to my my friends uh, boy, Robin and Jason of uh, this horse in the back of a <laughs> pickup truck. Wow! And the police also said that his rear hooves. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Horse, yeah. horse dialogue. Yeah. His rear hooves were barely on the back of the uh, the bed and there's no tailgate. And the only thing that secured this horse inside the bed of that truck was its um
2: Did it have a collar on? It, like a it, bridle? A yeah, leash. Yeah or not it, a leash but a yeah. A brid- I, I, I thought the word Rain. I got it. Rains.
1: So it could have been dragged to its death had it slipped. Uh, This was so stupid. I love horses.
3: That's terrible. Yes, I'm
1: looking at this full thing. This can't be real. But I contacted, there was a local police there, and it's 100% real. It's true. Yeah. Uh, It's the silliest thing you've ever seen. You almost think it's not real, but it's 100% real, and um, there's no tailgate. It's a back of the pickup truck going 70 miles per hour, and this horse would have been Horse meat had it uh, fell off, no doubt about it. And the last uh, stupid suspect story really isn't a stupid suspect story. It's really just a dis, uh, honorable mention to Lori Laughlin for allowing her daughter to be on social media talking about her dislike of all things academic at the school and all things fun with partying. It goes against the half a million dollars I was saying, she you paid. paid. Half a million dollars, I guess. You know, if you're paying half a million dollars, you think you might want to tell your daughter, hey, act like you like school. So it kind of goes. We can't tell you why, you know, but Lori. Just pretend you like it. If you're going to pay that much money, get your daughter off the social media. That's all I have to say.
2: And there's a big sting in that too, because apparently Lori Laughlin's husband did not like ASU.
1: Oh, hey, now and I'm he really mentioned, angry. And he
2: mentioned it during oh. this whole thing. And, and I'm thinking in the back of my mind, where well, your daughters partying on Instagram? Just send her to the best party school in the nation, Thank right? Thank you.
3: She is a perfect fit for hey, ASU. ASU is very proud to say right now that they are not even in the top 10 anymore. Oh, wow. And they're very proud of that. But that so, hurts me because I love the party uh, aspects so. uh, <laughs> I'm, with, I'm with you, Olivia. I'm with you, honey. Uh, <laughs> well, as uh, always with this show, we are going to transfer from stupid stupid and uh and light and smiling to something very heavy and very tragic this week i always do a heroic headline and this certainly is um about a hero but uh our hearts are very heavy in phoenix right now and it's uh, has to do with officer paul rutherford he was hit and killed while on a traffic stop last week and as we sit here there are people at a church out west that are preparing for his memorial mass that will take place in just a couple of hours, and his funeral is tomorrow. And last week, Paul and his partner, uh, early in the morning, uh, early in their shift, around 8:30 a.m., they responded to a minor car accident at 75th Avenue in Indian School. And Paul, he's been out 23 years on the department, and wife, two children, a grandchild, and uh, the crash was pretty minor, and a 17-year-old girl um, was involved, and I'm sure she was very shaken up from, you know, just trying to get to school. And Paul, his first, the first thing he did was to comfort her with a slight hug and just make sure, "Are you okay? Are you hurt?" And then uh, I talk often about choices and timing. Nothing magically happens, and, and uh, the timing of that. Uh, and where Paul was standing, where they had parked, there uh, another call came out that was right across the street that demanded uh, immediate police attention, and we are very well trained, and we are eager, and we are going to run toward the bullets in the fire, and uh, Paul stepped into traffic uh, with his hands, hand up, trying to stop traffic, and unfortunately, one car did not see him, and he was... Struck and killed. So our hearts here are very heavy. Uh, My love and prayers to his family, to our fellow Phoenix police officers all around the valley. I know this is going to happen somewhere else in the country today, but here in Phoenix, it's a tough one. And to all you motorists out there, if you see an accident scene, even if it's minor, even if it's, but if cars are stopped in the roadway, there is a reason. Please slow down. Please become more vigilant and understand that, people in that car crash are going to be outside of their cars now, as well as our first responders. And there's just nothing worth losing a life over nothing. And so please slow down. Please watch for your first responders and uh, let's, uh, these things are always preventable. God bless you, Paul. Thank you for your 23 years of service. And, uh,
1: and if uh, I could just say, uh, one yeah, please word. Darren, please, um,
3: please. The one word
1: is wife. And that's what Paul said. Uh, as the young girl who was in an accident uh, went to help him, <laughs> his was, last his last word, the
3: only word he could get out, yeah,
1: and well, then his wife passed away. That's... And Paul is so uh, indicative of all the officers out there that care so much uh, that risk their lives on a daily basis. And uh, we had so many mutual friends, and I, I can't say I was real close to Paul, but I, I met him and knew him, um, yeah. and he just truly, truly embodied everything is great about police work, uh, truly care for the community. And yeah, it's, to you, uh, you know,
3: life is, uh, life is so fragile and precious. Like all of us, he got up that morning, took a shower, put his uniform on. I'm sure he had plans for after work that day, said, I'll see you for dinner. Here's what we're doing this weekend. And then within hours, there's a bunch of people planning his, his funeral. Rest in peace, brother. Um, yeah. God, it's, uh, it's so hard to even transition now into, a. Uh, a final inspirational closing, but... uh but if anyone can, it's uh, you. Uh, well, uh, timing, it's been a very sensitive week for me because yesterday, March 26th, was the 18th anniversary of my crash. And March 26th, also, yesterday was 20 years to the day since Mark Atkinson was shot and killed. Thanks, police officer. Shot and killed in the line of duty. My inspiration, my calling, my accident was... Ironically, two years later, and then also two years ago yesterday, my own father passed away. March 26th has been incredibly significant. And as I was approaching this week, and knowing that that date was coming, the struggle that my my mom is having, and my my kids, and just what what everything signified, I you know I realized that past significant events will become more and more distant on the negative side but the positives and the inspiration will always remain in constant contact with us we all have a story we all go through trying times we all have stuff that we have to overcome and the mindset is everything the power of you cannot be underestimated it's been 18 years it was it was interesting to reflect on certain things Yesterday, but I have new adversities. I have this, you know, my burn injuries, I've said before, are old news. And I just reminded myself, if you want to overcome your adversities, you have to let the belief in yourself far outweigh any and all the pain. And I, it was awesome to spend the day yesterday with, first of all, I knew the date was coming, so I scheduled my tax appointment as a big F you to the day. <laughs> then... Then I went to lunch with two of the firefighters that saved my life. We do Aww. it every we do it every year. Rebecca Joy and Darren Voice, and then Darren came to my son's baseball game last night. And you know, I'll be, I will admit, yesterday was the first time, the first anniversary that I truly was apprehensive. I was truly like, you know what? Just get me through this day. Just yeah. just nothing bad happened. And I got to my son's baseball game, and I'm like, so help me, do not do not get hurt, do not break your ankle tonight, don't get hit by a pitch, whatever. And you know what, with Darren sitting there, the firefighter, one of the firefighters that saved my life, my son Mason wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for his heroic efforts. And Mason, to his credit, had two doubles, four RBIs. They win the game. We make it home safe and sound. Gave Knuckles, good night, I love you. And I was happy to wake up this morning and start the process all over again. So don't ever give up on everything. God bless you all very much. Love this show. Love you, Darren. Love you, brother. Robin, Dude, you, you just are made me laugh and cry. Just gotta cry. It, right? <laughs> you got to laugh and cry. I don't, Love you, brother. If you don't want your emotions moved every day like that, then uh, <sighs> something's wrong. So thank you all so much, and I cannot wait to do it again next week. God bless.
0: Matchbook. Thanks for listening to Badge Boys. Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police Sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Badge Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide networks and all mobile devices. Badge Boys.